How's it going, everybody? Aloha and welcome to another episode of Hawaii Football Final at KHON2.com or anywhere you download podcasts. I'm your host, Rob DeMello. Joining me as usual is former UH player and coach, 11-year NFL veteran Rich Miano, and former Rainbow Warrior offensive lineman R.J. Hollis. And boys, it was an unhappy homecoming for the University of Hawaii football team this past Saturday on the losing end of an absolute clinic 35-0 the San Jose State, where former UH captain Shevin Cordero played spectacular in his Hawaii homecoming, providing a little bit of irony and a reminder of what could have been for this UH program as it picks up the pieces from a turbulent last few seasons. Rainbow Warriors now 2-7 and on the season, 0-4 in the Mountain West Conference. They are the only team in the MWC without a conference victory at this point of the season. We have a lot to talk about, but before we do that, let's hear from head coach Timmy Chang. This is what he had to say following Hawaii's 35-zip loss to San Jose State. You know, I, I seen them do better, and today was definitely a regression. Um, I, I, think they, I, think we took, I, I think we definitely took a step back. There is a growing pain and, and, a, and, a, and a learning curve to this offense, and, uh, and these guys are experiencing it. And we're going through it together, and uh, um, you know we got to get fixed. It was good to see a lot of. Uh, it was good to see a lot of our alumni out. A lot of the, a lot of the, the people that laid the foundation for this program, and I and I expect to see them out more. And they're and they're welcomed. You know they really are. They're they're part of this program. They they they've created this program and and, and helped build it. And uh, it's our job to to maintain it and and, and make them proud. And and um, you know. Right now we're not doing that, but I, I see us doing it. Um, and uh, you know we ain't gonna stop until uh, it, until the, the, it starts to it starts to look the way we want it to look. All right, bringing in Rich Miano and R.J. Hollis. And full disclosure, we are taping this on Sunday evening. I am sick as a dog, but of course at this time of the year the show must go on. There are no days off. We're gonna get through this. I might run a little shorter than usual because I haven't gone an hour without throwing up. And so let's uh, hope that I. I win this race against time, but uh, I'm sure a lot of University of Hawaii football fans uh, might not be physically sick, but emotionally sick after watching this Rainbow Warrior 35-0 loss to San Jose State, the first shutout loss at home for UH in 25 years. And that happened in back-to-back games against Arkansas State and SMU back in the winless 1998 season. Rich, we'll start with you. Hawaii was dominated on offense, defense, special teams. Punter Matthew Shipley was the team's leading rusher in this game. How do you put into words what took place on Saturday night? Yeah, Rob, that was tough to stomach, and I'm not sure that my the Iron Man of sports media broadcasting is not sick because he had to watch that thing for three hours last night. But uh, I feel for you, Rob. It was it was one of those deals. With, I remember Kanoa asking me in the booth at the end of the broadcast, and we normally have a comment. I literally felt sick to my stomach for Timmy Chang, for this coaching staff, for these young people, and for all the people that either paid for the broadcast or watched it in person. It was really tough to swallow. I did find that the defense was better on first and second down. I thought they did attack more. I thought they made some plays. Uh, I thought Jalen Smith played spectacular. I think Tariq Jones had his best game, but they couldn't get off the field on third down. But I really don't want to fault one side of the ball, particularly for this loss, but I've never seen an offense in the run and shoot in all of my years, including 
watching St. Louis and some of these other run and shoot concepts not get in the red zone one time, not kick a field goal, not score a point, not have more than 200 yards. I mean, all of those things are inexplicable to the point where they're hard to pinpoint one position group, one coach. Uh, it's just when it rains, it pours, and this thing got ugly. And uh, coming off the New Mexico game, I didn't think it could could get any uglier, but that was that was even worse. Rob. It was a tough one. Now, Rich, you mentioned uh, didn't get to the 200-yard mark as far as offense goes, held to 198. That third down conversion rate at halftime, it was 10 of 11 for the Spartans in this game against the University of Hawaii. They end up going 11 of 16 on third down. And, you know, you make an interesting point is that in order to get 16 third down conversion attempts means that the University of Hawaii defense is doing something on first and second down to create those, but not able to get off of the field. And we just saw drives march down and you saw this defense by the time San Jose State got into the red zone was exhausted. Then the offense comes out into the field and it's a quick possession. The defense back out on the field again. I mean, that is the the epitome of complementary football on the negative side, right? You're not complimenting each other and uh, the defense has a grind of a drive and then the offense puts together a long one themselves to give your defense a breather. I mean, it was the complete opposite. RJ, uh, this was one of those team losses. We talk about team wins. It took the whole team to win this game. I mean, for lack of a better description, it took the whole team to lose this game, right? A hundred percent. Besides that, you know, fake punt by Matthew Shipley, which led him to becoming the leading rusher of that night. I felt like, you know, the defense, I, I would say, played a little bit better than the offense. But, you know, there was still no effort on the third downs. There wasn't much pressure on Chevin Cordero. He was able to play a very pretty and clean game. He threw a lot of passes unscathed. But offensively, I think that was just where, you know, uh, like Rich said, when it rains, it pours. The run and shoot is an offense that is, you know, known for putting up 300 and 400 yards worth of offense. And it's one thing if you can't get a couple of touchdowns. It's one thing if you, you know, can't get into the end zone, you have to survive off field goals. But to not get close enough to even allow Matthew Shipley a kick, um, to have personal fouls when San Jose is about to give you the ball back, you commit a personal foul and then help them extend the drive. Turnovers, missed assignments, lack of tackling. Lack of concepts that can get anything marching. It just seemed like everything that could go wrong for the University of Hawaii did on top of everything going good for San Jose State. You have to give them credit for what they've been able to do. But as far as a team effort, uh, I think Rich really hit something on the head when he said, I didn't think it could get worse than New Mexico. And that was kind of also my feeling that, hey, you got your one bad game out of the way. You got your one stinker out of the way. So, Going forward, there will be some sort of glimpses of them getting better, of progression. I think you followed one of your worst games of the year with the game that was worse than that. And like you said, it kind of just was bad on all the parts. Rainbow Warriors now 2-7 and seven on the season, 0-4 in the Mountain West Conference. As mentioned earlier, they are the only team in the MWC without a conference victory at this point of the season. Braden Shager, the quarterback, the guy that has the spotlight on him at all times, especially when you're the QB1 for the run-and-shoot offense. He goes 17-29, 132 yards passing, no touchdowns, one interception. He was sacked four times. And, you know, we, we've talked about this many times on this show, that the arm talent is undeniable. 
the toughness is unquestioned. The way that this guy gets up after being knocked down continually time and time again, the biggest question mark and the biggest criticism about his brand of football that he's been putting on the field this season is decision-making. And, you know, in those moments of the, the offensive line giving up and you being under pressure, obviously not an easy situation to be in, but it's the decisions he makes from those, those split second in the blink of an eye, uh, what made Bryant Moniz uh, a spectacular quarterback in 2010 was just the 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 instincts that he has. Uh, Braden Shager seems to struggle in that realm of his quarterbacking, doesn't he, Rich? Yeah, he does. And, you know, we've been accused of being protectionist or apologist. And, you know, you mentioned his arm talent. We always talk about his toughness. This was, to me, by far his worst game as a Rainbow Warrior. And, it's again, they get too much blame when they lose. They get too much credit when they win. So when you think about the blame, right, when you're 133rd in the nation in rushing, when you have an offensive line with essentially four new starters that are starting to actually gel a little better, don't get me wrong, they're not playing well. Um, you have running backs that are not good in protection, almost to a man, other than when you put Solo Vipulu back there and Landon Sims, I think is adequate, but the rest of those guys don't block very well. When you put the coaches in this mix of protection and offensive issues, you need to put them in the mix because they're starting to try to figure out to attack the middle of the field. I still didn't see any tunnel screens. I don't know how many bubbles I've seen. I don't know how many smoke throws I've seen. I didn't see much of anything offensively. I don't know what's happening. You know, we went from an 11 personnel type of offense, having no tight ends left and, you know, Grayson Morgan left, you know, we talk about tight, uh, our, our running back, the best running back in this program, the most explosive player, Tylen Hines, not playing at all in the last five or six games. There's enough blame to go around for everybody, Rob, but it does start with Braden Shager. And when I talk about Braden Shager, it's almost a similar comparison to Shevin Kadera in terms of being humble, not being vocal, you know, not having that swagger. Well, guess what? In two years in San Jose State, Kyrie Robinson, Brent Brennan, the head coach, almost every player and every coach knew that that was their mission to make sure that number two, Chevin Cordero, had swagger, had confidence, had leadership skills, was, was the guy out there that was the leader. I'm not saying that Braden Shaker has to turn to Tom Brady, but you have to be demanding. You have to be accountable. You have to be the leader when you are the quarterback. i I think his work ethic is really good. It could get better. I think his leadership has gotten better. It needs to continue to get better. I think he has to be the undisputable leader of this football team. And it's hard when you're not playing well. It's hard to do that in the eighth, ninth game of the season on the 10th game. But in order to be a good football team, the quarterback has to have that. And I think that's one of the biggest problems is, is not, as you mentioned, his arm talent. We even saw running talent yesterday. It was the first time in nine games that he actually – tucked the ball down after going through his progressions. And instead of getting sacked in second and long and third and long, he actually picked up a couple of key first downs. He actually picked up some positive yardage or not as much negative yardage. We saw that he's not a terrible athlete. He can do those things, but that's a coaching thing as well. Because if he doesn't have that biological clock in his head, then that's on the coaches. That's on him. That's on everybody. But it's on all of us too, because we had to witness that offense last night. RJ, uh, Rich Miano brings up coaching, and I want to get Rich's thought uh, on, on this topic as well. But 
when you look at preparation, when you look at a team continually struggle in first possessions, in first quarters, uh, I believe that that number is now up to like 92 or 99 to 14 being outscored in first quarters this season uh, based on what happened against San Jose State on Saturday night. Uh, how, how much of an issue do you think that could be when Rich Miano mentions that, you know, he, he perhaps this quarterback doesn't have confidence in his abilities, doesn't walk around with that swagger. This team is slow out of the gates in first quarters and all season long. How much do you start to question how ready these guys are? Uh, you, I mean, you got to question it. You got to be honest with yourself at this point. You're over the halfway mark of the season and you're kind of getting your identity and seeing who you are. There was a couple of times during the broadcast, you would see B-roll of players just looking detested, just out of it. Like they didn't even want to be there, head in the clouds. And, you know, it's kind of one of those things where, I mean, you don't want to straight up say the coaches aren't demanding enough, especially after, you know, what happened with the last coach being a little bit too demanding. But I think there has to be an increase of a demand, and it's really a catch-22 because, like I said, that was kind of the issue with the last, you know, coaching culture, so to speak. And I think there was a little bit extra to it. But I played for Chris Nioli for four years. When you want to talk about a demand for excellence, I mean, we're grading every single practice rep of our drills, of our one-on-ones, of our first down, second down, third down. If I'm the right tackle, I got to know what the left tackle is doing on every play. Why? Not because I'm going to even go in at left tackle, but because when things change in front of me, I'm not confused. If Ben Clark does go down in 2015 or Dejon Allen goes down in 2016 and RJ has to move over to left tackle, well, there's no confusion. If they mug guys up, there's no confusion. We had our, you know, spiritual leader, which was myself. We had our intelligent leader, which I think was, you know, Marcus Kemp, Diosimi St. Just, Stephen Lakalaka. We had coaches that were consistently on Everything that we did, every rep, every practice. So, you know, I, I think there has to be some question in the demand of both the players demanding excellence out of themselves and the coaches demanding excellence out of them and making sure that we are doing this every rep to perfection so that when we get in the game, we don't have so many embarrassing mistakes. But um, it's a little late in the season to kind of go – full-on changing things. I mean, at the end of the day, this is probably something you should have started at the beginning of the season with. But I think there definitely has to be uh, more of a demand for being a Division One football player. Hey, this is a tough team-oriented sport. This is a sport where punching somebody in the mouth is more than just a figure of speech. It's something you actually want done. When your players are playing violent with their hair on fire but under control, Seeing the game for what it is, seeing the coverages for what they are, protections for what they are, knowing how your players work. I knew that if Steven Lakalak is in the backfield, I got to push this guy a little bit farther than I would with Diosimi St. Just. If I got Paul Harris in the backfield, I got to block him just a little bit longer, but I can put him away because Paul likes to shuffle. Diosimi likes to go downhill. I like to notice blitz tendencies. The quarterback can do the same thing. Leo Kaloma-Tungi can do the same thing on the D-line. They could tell us things that we were messing up on as far as what they were paying attention to. So I think just having that entire mental demand of excellence, the mental focus of the art of war of football, I, I think that's just missing with this team. And it's something that these coaches have to figure out a way to get it out of the players, whether it's 
with honey or with vinegar, you have to figure it out because you got to expect more out of your Division One guys. Yeah, I just want to touch on what RJ said because I, I referred to it in the broadcast as culture chain instead of culture change. And what I meant by that is last week there was a cultural change in how they practice, what you were mentioning about, Rob, in terms of toughness, right? I always had a saying that you got to love them up before you can break them down. And then you have a coaching staff that consists of if the head coach is one of those guys who's a real hard ass and he's a, he's a demanding uh, guy, then you have some assistant coaches that love some of these players up. The position coaches take them over for Thanksgiving, take them for Christmas. They do cultural things together. They do bonding things together. But guess what? All of these young men, and RJ will tell you, a lot of them don't have dads. They don't have sometimes mentors, sometimes role models in their life. But once they know you care about them, then you can break them down. And these kids all need to be broken down when they don't hustle, when they miss assignments, when they don't practice hard, when they don't play hard, when they do poorly in school, when they do things in the community. And I'm telling you, that last week's practice, although it wasn't tangible on offense for whatever reason, it, to me it was still tangible on defense. They need to continue with that because RJ mentioned, or I think it was you, yeah, the last coach, he didn't ever love them up. He didn't really show that he cared about them as players, and he broke them down constantly. So this has to continue, and what needs to happen, Rob, is after this season, every single coach, every single player has to be evaluated to the point where, whether it's Barry Odom, Deion Sanders, however you want to handle this, if you if you have a smile on your face, you do the right things in the community, you give us a good look and practice, whatever else, and you're a walk-on, you can stay. If you're, I don't care if you're a scholarship athlete, if you're not good enough to help us win and you're not doing the right thing in the community, you're not doing the right thing in the classroom, and you're not going to help us win, you got to go too. This has become a professional business in terms of NIL, transfer portal, winning is so important for Timmy Chang to keep his job that you're going to have to have some wholesale changes in terms of people on this roster, and you're going to have to have some coaching changes or else you got to continue to do the same thing. And we all know what that is if you continue to think there's going to be different results. Yeah, Rich, and one more thing before we get to the Hawaii football final mailbox, and it comes off of what you said. Um, how much do you think about, if you are Timmy Chang, this is your opportunity. This is your one chance to be a head coach at this time in your career. And there's going to have to be some decisions to be that are that are going to have to be made that are going to be difficult decisions. And as you mentioned, that comes with roster, that comes with coaching staff. I mean, obviously, in the in the environment we live in and the society we live in right now, especially with social media, it's instant gratification. I'm sure that half the people in the stadium wanted changes to be made today, right? But that's just not possible. You're not going to do it. We've seen that a few times. When Chris and I, Ole, previously mentioned, took over as interim head coach when Norm Chow was let go. He kicked guys off the team. He kicked coaches off the team and and, and went forward with what they had. Um, did not win any games, but felt that that's what this team needed to do, addition by subtraction. Um, the When you look about, or when you think about Timmy Chang's offseason, how difficult is it going to be to make those decisions for him? It's going to be very difficult because some of these guys, obviously, matter of fact, this whole staff, they like one another. They had bonded together. They had worked hard to try to turn this thing around. But there's going to be – has some changes. And I'm talking on both sides of the ball, possibly all three phases of this football team, depending on what, what Coach Chain feels like he needs to do. Because you're exactly right. 
The one thing you don't want to be is a hometown hero like Tibby Chang in getting your butt run out of this state because you're a nice guy and you weren't able to make those changes. Because I still think we need to have patience with Coach Chang because anyone that knows football knows that those 19 transfers in the portal, probably half of them wouldn't have transferred, if maybe more, if Timmy Chang was named the head coach sooner. I also want everybody to know that, you know, this is more to me on Dave Matlin, who was presiding over Todd Graham and the hiring of Timmy Chang late, where we lost Chevin Cordero, we lost Darius Musa, we lost Corey Bethley, we lost Nick Marner, we lost tons of really quality players. We still have the worst facilities in the NCAA and no grass practice field now. This is not all Timmy Chang's fault, but if Timmy Chang is going to continue to be the nice guy and try to please everybody, which I don't think he is. Matter of fact, I've seen signs that he's going to make moves. There's going to be some hard decisions. There's going to be some, some changes. I think he has a chance, but if it was old school Timmy Chang where he's nice and he wants to love up everybody, he does a great job in the community. He does a great job in the alumni. He has so many things going through his mind. He's trying so hard to do so many things. The thing he has to do now is focus on the structure of this coaching staff, the talent of his football players, and the schematics that they're and the discipline that you're seeing each and every week. All right. Uh, I should clarify one thing. I meant to say they did not win many games. I said did not win any games, but in 2015, end of the season with a victory over Louisiana Monroe, uh, Chris Naoli went one and three as interim head coach. And so my apologies on that. Just uh, just misspoke for a second there. All right. Hawaii football final mailbox time. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I can say that uh, if there was a trending word uh, or trending words in the Hawaii football final mailbox if i could filter it in that way june jones would definitely uh take the cake in this one uh almost every question had his name in it much like it has been for the entirety of doing this hawaii football final podcast i mean let's face it rich you and i started this thing i believe it was the 2018 season and at that time every mailbox question was about june jones and then in 2019 midway through the year before they got hot, every question was June Jones. And then it happened in 2020, 2021, 2022, and now 2023. It's going to continue to happen. That's just the way it is here in the islands. And so I will try to uh, get to some of the questions that, that are a little more targeted. Um, but just keep in mind, pretty much every question I asked had June Jones attached to it, which we can talk about. But uh, I just didn't want to use the same question over and over again. And so the first question, though, uh, does not have June Jones attached to it. Uh, it comes from Arnold. And uh, the question is, in your opinion, what does a Jake Farrell start look like? RJ, I'm going to go uh, to you first. Uh, I I'm thinking that a Jake Farrell start doesn't look much different than a Braden Shager start. He did get some reps towards the end of that game. And, you know, um, had a turnover, had some completions, but he looked uncomfortable. He looked like it wouldn't be much of a difference between him and Braden Shager. And, you know, like I always say on this show, like I always say, period, it's Division One football. So even if the starter's not doing great, you can't just throw the backup in there thinking and hoping that something gets done because it's going to be just as hard on the backup. So um, if they want to start Jake Farrell, I say make sure you're sending lots of heat at him during practice to see what he'll really be like. But, you know, 
at the end of the day, uh, I think Braden Shager earned his QB one spot. It's a team sport. You got 11 starters or 10 starters that walk out there with you every time. Braden Shager can't protect for himself. Braden Shager can't run routes. Braden Shager can't jump and catch the ball. He can only throw the ball, which he does very talentedly, but he also has to make decisions of letting the ball go, which I think is his biggest issue. And I don't think it's, you know, necessarily a breaking issue, but with the team being so bad the way it is, I can see why people might want Farrell in. But um, to me, I think Braden Shager fought for it. I think the offseason was when you do compete to go for those spots. If it was a close competition, we never heard about it. And, you know, when Farrell did get in, I didn't see anything, in my opinion, that would make me think, okay, this is definitely the answer over Braden Shager. If you want to give him shots, that's up to you. Make him earn them. But you know, I still think Braden Shager of the quarterbacks that I've seen play this year is the QB one. Uh, Rich Miano, Jake Farrell goes three of eight, 14 yards passing and an interception uh, to end the game against San Jose State. Your thoughts on that question? Yeah, no, I mean, I'm a little bit more severe than RJ in terms of what I saw in that game, what I see in practice. There's no question who the quarterback one is. It's nice that you have a backup and maybe you can come in at the end of a game or whatever else, but the talent disparity is huge. The thing that I will add to what Braden Shager is not doing, and I've done some research on this, is he doesn't check the ball down enough. He doesn't hit his kind of like his, his shorter receivers. The Shager bomb almost maybe has become something mental in his mind where he thinks he has to go up top all the time. But don't forget, this guy – has gone up top to the point where he was, I think, fourth in the nation in terms of passing yardage, first in the nation in terms of 50-yard-plus uh, perceptions. And when you think about, you know, uh, Braden Shager, he'd win the seven-on-seven championship maybe in the country with the receivers that we have here in Hawaii. So a lot of it goes back to, to me, and not in any particular order, play calling, scheme, offensive line protection, running back protection, Braden Shaver getting rid of the football. And again, there was a glimmer of hope. He actually did run the football instead of taking four or five other sacks this past game. If you look at sacks, you know, when you throw the ball, Rob, 50 or 60 times and you have absolutely no running game, when you talk about a quarterback-friendly offense, this is the furthest thing for that unless you talk about a guy that has great protection, has great receivers, has great schematics and gets rid of the football, and then it can be quarterback-friendly. But right now, we are not doing all of the above, which is making Braden Shager come into question to these fans and ask, asking maybe quarterback number two could do any better. I definitely think that Braden Shager is by far and above quarterback number one, and I'm not even sure who number two is. Hawaii Football Final Mailbox continues, and just a heads up, you can uh, send in your questions every week. Find me on Instagram, at Rob DeMello, on Twitter, or uh, now known as X, at Rob DeMello, K-H-O-N, and email at rdemello at khon2.com, rdemello at khon2.com. All right, uh, Rockpile sending in this question. Rich and RJ, have either of you ever experienced this before? A team shows promise early, and each week takes more steps back. Uh, RJ? Yep, the team you were just talking about, uh, the 2015 team, started off with a home win over uh, Power Five. Yeah, Colorado, right? We beat Colorado. Yeah, beat Colorado in Aloha Stadium. That was my very first start. And then I think we ended up going 2-1 and because we had a 
FCS opponent after we faced another Power 5 opponent, and then we wouldn't win another game until the very final game. So I think we went from 2-1 and one all the way to 3-10. and 10. Now, for that team, you're talking about facing Ohio State on the road, Wisconsin on the road at night, Boise State on the road, no bye week for 13 weeks. So there was definitely a reason as to why the season went well, the way it did. But at the same time, this was a team that had a healthy Kennedy Tulimase Ali'i, Nick Nelson, uh, Naquan Phillips, Max Whitaker came in from USC, Quentin Pedroza was healthy, Marcus Kemp was healthy. So there was the potential of a team that really could have gotten something done. Uh, I do think the scheduling was a little difficult and put a lot of people in the um, injury protocol. Uh, Luke Shawley ended up leaving midseason, and then some injuries kind of faulted. But I think that was a team that coming into the season had a very, you know, hopeful ceiling, had a lot of potential, and just as the season went, it, it got to a point where the potential was nowhere near being met, and eventually Air Force would uh get Norm Child fired. And even once Coach Chris took over and, you know, the regime kind of changed, the way that the team was set up was kind of already the same. So he wasn't able to flip it upside down overnight. And I think um, that was a team to me that was probably, when you look at an individual player basis, one of the more talented teams that I was a part of and only was able to get three wins out of. Rich Miano, does this season remind you of any other? And, and you know, in terms of that, does is there any glimmer of hope because of that? No, I think, Rob, we got to all go back to the Vanderbilt game, and we have to understand college football. As you, as you have no preseason games, no inter-squad scrimmages, you don't know what you're going to get when you turn the lights on with – a bunch of new players every year, especially in the age of the transfer portal and all the transfers and newcomers that started for the University of Hawaii this year. But I think the Vanderbilt game, even though they haven't won a game in the SEC, it's one of those deals where you came away from that game going like, man, this team went to Nashville, played well, and as long as that old cliche about you improve the most after your first game, well, guess what? They're going to get better after the Stanford game, after the uh, Albany game, whatever it is, this team's going to be a formidable team if they continue to build and they continue to get better. I just remember them playing well in the second half of the New Mexico State game, the second half of the Albany game, the two wins that they have. I don't think they put a game together all season where they can feel good about four quarters of football. Um, the Vanderbilt game might have been the closest to it, and that was the furthest away. So we have regressed. There has been enough excuses with Tylen Hines and having four new starters on the offensive line and, you know, having protection issues, not having a real running back for the first time in program, you know, in a long time where I can see where they are decimated at one position that's so important. So this season has been totally frustrating because we all want Coach Chang and this team to play better. And we're all frustrated because we can't really, as you mentioned a week ago, when the boat springs a leak, you try to put your finger on it, and there goes another leak, right? And you can here's a perfect example, a paradox to that is Jalen Smith has the best game of his career. I think three or four tackles for losses. I mean, he was just everywhere making plays, and he's gonna be a phenomenal linebacker. But what he's most known for is getting the personal foul that gave them their first touchdown or extended the drive, gave them the enthusiasm, the adrenaline, and the momentum and all those other things. But that guy played great besides one play or else he's got, you know, 
my stick, my helmet sticker, he might still get it. But that's the problem with this football team is they seem to not be able to put it together and play complimentary football. And this was really, to me, more on the offense than any other phase. But it's tough when you have a run and shoot offense and you have June Jones in the house and you get zero points in 60 minutes. All right, the next question comes from Steven, and I want to preface this by saying I don't want this to turn into my boys defending me and, and jumping in for Brother Rob uh, like we've seen in the past. Uh, you guys, uh, it's all good. Uh, Steven sends in this question saying, DeMello, have you been recruited by Bob Coolin yet with all these softballs you're tossing to Rich and RJ? Fire Timmy, hire June, enough said. So the only thing I'll say, and I don't even know if there's anything you guys want to say about that is um, – you know, the, the the one thing that I hope a lot of people understand is that, you know, just because you watch Stephen A. Smith and ESPN doesn't mean that that's how normal people behave. Right. And so you can't tell me that we have not been critical uh, on this UH football team. You can't tell me that I have not asked you guys about your thoughts on subjects that then uh, criticize what the University of Hawaii football team is doing and whether that's play calling, whether that's playing the game, whether that's preparation. I mean, those are all topics that came up today, right? That come up every week. And, and so uh, I get it. Social media, it, it, it's all the, um, you know, the, the, the attention grabbing and, and maybe people want to hear me say uh, this guy sucks or that guy sucks and get this guy out of town. But fact of the matter, that's not my job. You need me to be the guy that's asking other people questions and putting out the statistics uh, earlier this week in the coverage of this UH football game on KHON2, I put a graphic together saying, hey, these are all the categories that UH ranks 133rd out of 133 teams. This is where they're 121. This is where they're 116. And, you know, some of those categories were rushing, third down conversion rate, uh, red zone defense, penalties, sacks, sacks for, sacks against, turnover margin, all that. So, I mean, I'm putting that information out there for you, the viewer, uh, to then come up with how you feel about this. You don't need me to do that. And so I, I'm sure that there's people that want to hear me uh, go off on people, but that's just that's just not what my role is. And uh, I think over the years, Rich and RJ have answered questions about this program that uh, that I hope you all feel are um, uh, smart. And uh, come with experience and and help you guys form your thoughts on this UH football team. Uh, guys, your thoughts? Yeah, let me go first because I got a kind of a narrative on this whole thing. First of all, Rob DeMello cares probably more than any All right. Other... No, 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 no. I probably, I said we were not doing okay. that. We're not doing okay. that. Well, well, here's what I'm going to say. When it comes to, like, you know, this whole scenario that we're dealing with, too, I want people to realize this. San Jose State University in Brent Brennan's first two years out of his seven-year tenure, which has resulted in two bowl games in three years, never happened in the program history. They were one in 11 and one in 12. Did they fire Brent Brennan? No. Okay. San Francisco 49ers have lost three games in a row after going five and oh. Do you think they're going to fire Kyle Shanahan? Colorado just lost four games in a row. And you know what Deion Sanders said? We got to buy a new offensive line. The, and Brent Brennan said this the best. Can you imagine if Timmy Chang and myself had $500,000 to a $1 million each, each year to get have NIL money to go get a right tackle, to go get a safety, to go get a linebacker, to go get a receiver? It, it would be a much better football program. There's things that 
Timmy Chang is dealing with. Again, and I'm not being an apologist. There's plenty of issues. There's got to be staff changes. There's got to be player changes. There's got to be culture change. You, you couldn't get more extreme than that. That's not being a homer. That's just telling the truth from a transparent guy that's been around the program. So you say the same things on the broadcast. RJ says the same things on the broadcast. We get to detail this in this show. So to me, there's no softballs being thrown. You're talking about people you actually like, that you actually love, that you actually coach. And you're saying there's a lot of things that he needs to change, including himself, the culture. So I don't know how this could be a softball tossing exhibition. Uh, uh, I think really we're, we're being honest and open. And RJ does that on a weekly basis. You're the narrator, but you give an opinion. And your opinion, to me, sure you want them to do well. And we all get depressed when they lose. But at the same time, I don't know how you could have a show that's much more honest than this, more transparent than this, without just basically MFing people. And we're not going to do that. Yeah, because then the other thing, too, is that, you know, we we live in a world of reality, right? Where, okay, let's just say you fire this guy, this guy, and this guy. Like, who's who's conducting practice tomorrow? Who's paying the bills exactly. to, 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 to pay these guys to go away? Who is now stepping in? And, I mean, the little things that people have no idea takes place in, in, in a coaching circle, right? I mean, people are frustrated, but you do realize that if in 2023 you get rid of Timmy Chang, well, then you just got rid of the guy that – the arguably the national player of the year when the season's all done wants to play for, right? I mean, you have to look big picture to this. There, there are ramifications to decisions that you make. And this was the, the decision that was made. And that was Timmy Chang's the head coach starting the 2022 season. And it would be reckless and foolish in my opinion, to go away from that at the end of the 2023 season. And as you mentioned, Brent Brennan three and 22 in his first two seasons, at San Jose State. The difference is that San Jose State understood that he was the cultural fit. And, and what's interesting is he's the mirror to Timmy Chang because he had never been a coordinator. He was a lifelong assistant coach, right? Position coach. And at the time, people thought he's not ready for this. He can't do this. But they felt that he was the cultural fit. He was the guy that if he found success, which he has, would not leave the program like Nick Rolovich did. Right. I mean, Timmy Chang, in my heart of hearts, I think if this guy is successful at UH, he is the longest tenured head coach in UH history. The guy is not going to go anywhere. This is where he wants to be. This is what he wants to do. And you have to allow an opportunity for that to happen, in my humble opinion. RJ. Uh, yeah. So, I, you know, it's actually funny because just last week, somebody um, messaged me saying that I helped ruin the program by bringing the conversation up about Todd Graham, which was sparked after Chevin Cordero transferred. Now, I'll say this. Two things. One, your question didn't have a question. You said, fired Timmy, hired June, enough said. That's a statement. That is not a question. So, therefore, your whole question just became irrelevant. But I will say this as well. Sports media people, and I can't, I can speak for Hawaii for sure. I would have to imagine everywhere else, no head coach contract is signed by the media guy. No head coach interview is done by the media guy. So there's almost this expectation that if people in the media start saying fire somebody, that it's going to happen. Not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And then the next thing is, if you're demanding for somebody to be fired, 
That means there is a 100% unequivocally no chance that they will do anything right. Unequivocally, no chance. And for you to say that after having Aloha Stadium shut down, having COVID set you back for two years, having the debacle with Ty Graham, losing all those players, getting new ones, and having to figure it out that whoever sent that question in would do any better or that June Jones would be in a better situation because even though he might have, you know, his previous success at the University of Hawaii, he had the players that he had his previous success with at the University of Hawaii. He doesn't have Braden Shaker. He doesn't have a non-working Tylen Hines or Zolo Vipulu being the best running back that you have right now. So I think there has to be, you know, uh, understanding that because you're a fan, you feel emotional about something, that is your prerogative to go out there and say something about it. As analysts, it is our job to analyze. Fans are fanatics. Analysts analyze. We see things for what it's worth. Now, if there's another prospect that shows up, wants to be a head coach, and there's a back and forth between them and you ask that question, all right. But just to say when somebody's down that they should be fired, if that was the case, Brent Brennan would have never reached success because, like they mentioned, hey, he was losing. I'm from Alabama. Go look up Nick Saban's first year there and see if we got emotional and wanted to kick out somebody when they started to go down. Oh, yeah, it's going to work for you. Football is something that takes time to develop. And when you talk about a state that has no stadium, when you talk about, like Rich said, some of the worst facilities in America, and then you have to be the head of this, it's a lot more difficult to win in college football than a lot of fans give credit for. Is Timmy Chang doing perfect? No. Is he even doing good right now? Not really. I mean, I definitely think there needs to be more demand of excellence for the players and for the coaches, but I think this misleading misnomer that once Rob DeMello says, oh, I hate Timmy Chang, he's going to be fired the next day, or once Rich Miano says, oh, I don't know if this guy's for the job, he's going to be fired the next day, it don't work like that. So thinking that you could send a Bose football question in to get Rob to ask me and Rich, do we want this guy fired, and then he's going to get fired? It's, it's not going to happen. So, you know, if you feel that somebody should be fired, that's good on you. But us, our job, our profession is to analyze things for what they are. And that's all, all I got to say. And then another thing, too, Rob, I know you said don't defend you. But at the end of the day, hey, nobody mess with Rob, bro. I, I ain't even going to lie to you. This is going to be a problem hey. between me and you personally if, if you come at my man like that. So uh, I got to put that in there, too. I know you said not to do that, but. Hey, 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 don't get it twisted, bro. Rob DeMello, that's, that's, uh, he's on RJ Hollis untouchable list. All right, all right, all right. We're good, we're good. Mahalo, my brother. Hey, and, and Rob, I want to go through a chronology again. And because if people think you're lobbing softballs, I was on record last week of saying this. I called out the governor, the legislature, the Senate, the president right. of the University of Hawaii, who right. Dave Matlin over Rick Blangiardi and Keith Amamiya. And then you had Dave Matlin who hired Timmy Chang, or my number one choice was June Jones. I went on record by saying that. My number two choice was Craig Stutzman. My number three choice was Timmy Chang, because I knew who the fourth choice was, and I'm not going to say who it was, but guess what? When you get drafted in the first round, it ain't the problem of the first round draft pick. It's the problem of the general manager or whoever drafted you, and in that case, Dave Matlin. So, you know, we're fans of Timmy Chang because we coached him, we love him. We know this program is in desperate needs, and we need him to survive. And 
That's why one of the reasons we're fans of his, because we're in a situation where can we really go through another firing, hiring, buying out, whatever it takes, starting again. I mean, this is what has happened because of poor leadership. And it's not Timmy Chang's fault. Very well said, Rich Miano, RJ Hollis. And in fact, uh, we're going to end it on that note there. There are more questions uh, that we can get to next season after the University of Hawaii football team takes on Nevada in Reno. That is a very important game for this Rainbow Warriors squad. At the beginning of the year, it looked like the Wolfpack would be the team at the bottom of the Mountain West Conference. Uh, they, they had a lot of growing pain to go through th themselves, but have now won two straight games. They appear to be on the opposite trajectory of the University of Hawaii as of late. So it's going to take a quality effort for the University of Hawaii to walk away with a dub. But you can watch that game 10 a.m. on Spectrum Sports pay-per-view. Rich Miano and Kanoa Leahy will be on the call. R.J. Hollis, myself, Kavika Hallams will be in studio for pregame, halftime, and postgame. Uh, the good news, the best news out of a UH football weekend is that I did not throw up on this podcast. And uh, hopefully uh, the next time uh, we do this, I'm feeling a lot better. But much mahalo, guys. Yes, sir. Hey, Rob, one last thing. I'm going to predict. And after watching Reno win the last two games, shutting out San Diego State and beating New Mexico really bad, two teams that beat the University of Hawaii, I'm going to go on record. You can say I'm a, you know, whatever I am, a protectionist, an apologist, a Timmy Chang fan, whatever else. Hawaii's going to win their first game of on the road in conference in a long time this week. And guess what? It's going to be the best plane ride, the best bus rides, the best time to get it. Enjoy it. This is bunker mentality. The only one that believes in this group is themselves. And you know what? There's going to be nothing better than a win against Reno. And I'm going to be there, brothers. All right, man. Uh, well, you got to rise up when uh, when things are rough. And uh, that's if the Rainbow Warriors come back with a dub, that will be rising up in a time that things are pretty, pretty rough. Much mahalo, RJ Hollis, Rich Miano, everybody for supporting the Hawaii Football Final Podcast. Have a great week. Take care of yourselves. Aloha. Aloha.